the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. I can feel the heat rising. Everything is on fire. Today's a painful reminder of why it can only get brighter. Welcome everybody to the Sober Courage podcast with me, your host, Mag Shores. And man, it feels like it's been a really long time since I've done this. And I'm sitting here kind of thinking, how did I used to do this? And uh, believe it or not, I kind of forgot. But here I am. Uh, My voice sounds kind of funny, like a squealing, probably 12-year-old boy because I have really bad allergies lately. And um I know I should take that allergy test and figure out what I'm actually allergic to, but there's a whole bunch of stuff and I take a whole bunch of stuff and nothing really works. So anyway, um, yay. So I'm really excited to be back. We had a wonderful camping trip. Um, I've been off Facebook for a couple weeks, um, pretty much, and it's been a joy. I have to tell you guys, it's pretty amazing not to be on Facebook and all the social media and it's not till I'm off of this stuff that I realize how great it is not to be on it and although parts of me are constantly thinking well I wonder well wonder what who and what's happening and um I have some friends, I have a friend who's having a baby soon and I have a friend who's getting married soon and all these other things and I really kind of want to check and make sure that they're okay but you know I keep like putting in my head what did we used to do before Facebook and I'm actually amazed that I've been on Facebook for eight years, eight years of my life uh, is documented on Facebook, how crazy is that, that's the whole eight years that I've been sober pretty much, like eight and a half years so Anyway, I wanted to update you guys on my son because it's truly, truly amazing. Uh, We started him on medication two weeks ago after I went to the doctor. And at the doctor's, my son was off the hook. Um, And when we walked in there, when the doctor walked in, she kind of looked at me and grinned. And my son was jumping off and on the table, off and off the table. He's he's seven. He should not be doing that. <laughs> uh, but that's ADHD, kind of. And he was, I guess, nervous also. And I kept, uh, ask, you know, asking him to count to ten, which is, um, which is a little thing I learned in therapy on how to help him sort of chill out for a minute or regroup or whatever. And I think I did that like a hundred times. I can't even tell you. And... Um, the doctor was like, yes, we definitely should put him on some medication. Um, this seems pretty extreme and all these other things. And, you know, I walked out there with a prescription. And as I'm driving to the drugstore, I'm thinking to myself, have uh, my husband and I become so accustomed to our son's behavior that we didn't even realize anymore how bad it was? Because the doctor was just, there was no questioning uh, 
at all in her mind. It seemed like there was no question in her mind that he should be on some sort of medication. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you know, um, we've been dealing this with this behavior for, you know, about three years, I guess, now. And it's hard to believe that I think we did actually get used to it. And it seemed to us to be normal. I mean, we, we knew it wasn't quite normal, but we, you know, we just learned how to deal with it. And I did not realize even more how difficult his behavior has been till we started, till he started taking the medication. And oh my gosh, can I just tell you guys, I mean, I had a hard time deciding to put him on medication. There was a lot of things that I was worried about. Uh, I had some weird worries, some stigma things, you know, crap in my brain, all thoughts and all things learned. And the first day he took the medicine, we saw a huge, huge difference. He wasn't stoned. He wasn't, um, you know, he didn't seem drugged up, but he seemed like a normal, calm kid who could have a conversation with you, who could sit down and watch TV, who could sit down and write something, who could sit down and do his homework. And um, I let all of his teachers know about it. And uh, second week into it, they all returned emails about how great he was doing. Um, it was, it's been incredible. It's been incredible to see such a humongous difference. And let me tell you, the last straw for me to get him on this medication, last straw, you know what I mean. Um, what made my final decision is that the week before everything happened, he was crying almost every night about how he could not control himself and he knew that he wasn't doing well and that he was constantly getting in trouble. And he was crying because he just, he was so frustrated with it. And for him to, after the medication started, go through the last two weeks with no problems, beautiful, beautiful colors on his behavior chart, uh, you know, finishing all the tests, being able to do homework. Amazing. I, I'm just amazed, 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 amazed. And, um, you know, you hear so many horror stories. And I guess those are all, again, you know, from people that... I've obviously some might have had bad experiences, but maybe it's people that just don't know. You know, when we don't know, we tend to go other places. So I'm really, really uh, grateful that I had this huge network of people that helped me out and helped me make this decision. And that I had a, you know, my husband was very supportive. As a matter of fact, at one point he said, you know, I think this is probably what I should have been on when I was a kid, you know, because he had a really hard time in school also. So awesome, awesome turnout. And um, I'm so excited for my son to finally be able to flourish and be able to be a normal kid. As normal as it can be, right? <laughs> so anyway, that's that update. Second of all, I know I was saying I was going to have my husband on this time, but we've been extremely busy with the end of school year and just haven't gotten to it. And I think my husband's a little shy about it because, you know, he's, um, he's an introvert. Um, I don't know. He says he's an introvert, but I think he is more of an extrovert, but he might have some social anxieties. I don't know. He said he would crack too many jokes and 
make fun of things, which I said was just fine because, you know, I'd rather this, this was fun for someone to listen to than mundane kind of and, and uh, you know, not helping anybody out. Uh, I don't know. I guess sometimes talking about serious stuff and being serious is good when it's a serious situation. But I really like to put some laughter into things because it's, it's you know, life sometimes is too hard. So that's that. The other part I wanted to share about you got with you guys is I broke my tooth. It's a very long story. I actually broke the first tooth when I was like 20 and they told me I needed to get another tooth in there and I just had him pull it out and I never got the other tooth. So then I had a bridge built. I know, long story. And then because there was no tooth in, in the bridge broke and then I had the tooth next to it fixed. Anyway, long story short, what happened was the bone in my jaw actually recessed because there was no tooth there for about 15 years. <laughs> yes, this is one of those lessons, you know, where you like go to the dentist and they tell you all these horrible things and you're like, yeah, whatever, that's not going to happen to me. Well, it happened. So my bone recessed and then I remember um, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the doc dentist telling me, you know, eventually my teeth would just start falling into the hole where the recessed bone would be. And that's kind of what happened. So my my tooth next to the recessed bone broke and fell in. And where am I going with this story? Let me tell you. Okay, you know, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I'm pretty much strictly an alcoholic. Booze did everything for me. But let me tell you, the idea of being on some other uh, place, planet in my head or feeling some other way than normal is always hanging around, you know. So I'm at this dentist for three and a half hours and he's pulling his tooth out. I mean, you know, the noise was horrible. I wanted to put headphones on at one point because I thought my my brain was just going to get drilled out. I mean, they had to cut it in pieces and dig it out of my jaw and, you know, whatever. And every time I felt a little pain, I was like, more Novocaine, more Novocaine. So he kept shooting up. Novocaine because I didn't want gas because I'm scared of gas and my insurance doesn't pay for it. But anyway, so he just shot me up with Novocaine so much that I couldn't close my eye. But, you know, after three and a half hours of this stuff, I, um, you know, he's like, I'm going to give you a prescription for the, for uh, antibiotics in case, you know, there's infection or it just heals better. And I don't really think you need any pain meds. And I looked at him like he was completely insane. And I'm like, no, I definitely need some pain meds. Um, <laughs> so he gave me a prescription. I didn't even look at it. And, uh, you know, I got in the car to drive to the pharmacy and I opened it up and it's a prescription for Motrin. Oh, my God, you guys. You know, the addictive mind, I think it's an addictive mind. I don't know. I don't ever, I've never heard normal people complain about getting prescription for Motrin. But I was like, where the hell is, where the hell is my Vicodin or something? You know, what the hell is this shit Motrin? I mean, I might as well just take Tylenol. Um, oh my God, I caught such a huge resentment. I didn't even go to the pharmacy. I drove home and I swallowed like four Tylenols, like a great addict that I am, addict, alcoholic, whatever you want to call me. And I totally scuffed at this Motrin prescription. And, um, you know, then I had to share about it at a bunch of meetings because 
I have to tell you guys also that all the other times that I've gotten a prescription for Vicodin or something else, I never had got it filled because I was afraid to take it. But this time I didn't get one, so I was pissed off. I mean, oh my God, go figure. Um, Such a crazy thinking. Um, I really thought that after these horrific three and a half hours at the dentist, I deserved some really good painkillers and I didn't get any. And I was so pissed so it took me a while to get over that and um anyway my mouth's been hurting it's been a week and uh gosh you know um go to the dentist guys okay take care of your teeth <laughs> anyway um so I guess I want to go back into and talk about something that um, has to do with the whole Facebook thing. You know, it's it, to me, it's sometimes amazing about how my life works. And I truly believe in a higher power of some sort because there's so many coincidences that I see in my life. And I really don't think that they all kind of just happen. I really think that there's some force, something out there that's kind of bringing them together. So... You know, I've been trying to stay off Facebook and I've been doing really good, I think, and pretty much all social media. And um, that was just, uh, I wanted to regroup. I start, I have a tendency of losing myself in in um, trying to follow everybody and talk to everybody. And um, not enough that I don't really have the time to keep track of what everyone's doing. But, you know, I start comparing myself to other people and I start feeling like less than or not good enough or why the hell am I doing this? And, you know, I know who the popular people are and I know who has the hits and who's got all the friends and who's everywhere and who's, you know, the person that people love and, and seem to admire and, uh, you know, all that other stuff and and um, I kind of get down on myself. And I, I think that's uh, sort of a normal thing. I know I've heard other people feel the same way uh, at times and take breaks from social media. You know, I always try to, in my mind, to do my own thing. But at the same time, I often lose the, all, my own thing. So anyway, it happened so that I was in the midst of all this stuff in my head about social media and not being able to keep up with everybody and not being as popular and I go to a meeting and the topic that uh, um, the leader throws out is identity and the identity that he was referring to is that when we come to an AA meeting we say hi my name is Maggie and I'm an alcoholic and, you know, his point was kind of like that, yes, I'm an alcoholic, but I'm also lots of other things, you know, and he was saying, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a worker and all these other things. And sometimes he gets lost um, trying to identify himself. And I think, I think I do too. I think that early in my recovery, I was in so much denial you know, before I actually got sober, when I was kind of bouncing it around in and out, I was in so much denial about my alcoholism that when I finally was able to say my name is Maggie and I'm an alcoholic, was probably the time when I started to believe that I really am an alcoholic. And I needed to say that 
to keep that in front of my mind to help me stay sober. Because as soon as I thought or questioned for a minute that maybe I'm not an alcoholic, I would go out and drink, you know. And so I think there was a huge benefit for me personally to come to a meeting and say that I'm an alcoholic. And I've actually seen people in meetings just come and uh, introduce themselves and that's all they'll say. You know, my name is and I'm an alcoholic and that's all they want to share. And I think that's what it does for us or for a lot of us. It reminds us what our problem is, what problem we have at hand to deal with. And I needed that reminder. My mind wandered so long, so often about who, uh, not who, but this disease that I might have, that it was really beneficial for me to say that. But as I go along in sobriety and recovery, I, I'm not sure that's any more uh, a, dec- a good label. I mean, I don't go around saying I'm an alcoholic. I, even in open recovery and recovering out loud, I don't, I don't say that I'm an alcoholic. I say I'm in recovery. I don't think I've ever said that I'm an alcoholic. I might have said I had a problem with alcohol. I have a problem with drinking or I drink too much. But I've never actually, mm, out of the circles of recovery, people said that I was an alcoholic. And I think that whole sentence, uh, it, it has a very negative connotation. And if alcoholism is a disease, which it is, as stated in 1996 uh, by the American Medical Journal, you know, People who have diabetes don't say I'm a diabetes. People who have cancer don't say I'm cancer and so on. So I don't think, you know, saying I'm an alcoholic is really, you know, the right thing to say. For me, especially at this point in my recovery, I have alcoholism. I have a dependency on alcohol. I have a disease of dependency on alcohol. Um, all these things. Yes. Um. And that's really important, I think, to figure out what's right for you and how it works for you. I think, uh, you know, making language not so stigmatic or sounding stigma, you know, as you're stigmatizing is really important, especially for the person in recovery, especially the person newly in recovery, right? So, you know, this whole thing made me feel like, you know, my identity I've been going so hard with recovery for the last three years. I think I'm I'm starting to get a little overwhelmed with it. And I think this is why maybe I was gearing towards this podcast about parenting. You know, because I really am much more than an alcoholic. And I think all of us are much more than alcoholics, especially in recovery, right? Because I think when I was drinking, I was definitely an alcoholic. I could definitely say that I was an alcoholic because I was consumed by the need for alcohol therefore the rest of my life didn't matter but now that I'm in recovery my life matters and I think that's really important and I think it's a true gift that I'm able to be a parent that you know is in recovery so I can do all these other things to help my kids and I think it's really important for us to identify ourselves but I also think that for me in this stage of my life uh, just being human is kind of cool. I don't know if I need to identify with 
labels of any kind, really. I mean, I play roles, right? I think I play a lot of roles. You know, I play the mother role and the daughter role and the wife role and co-worker role. Uh, am I all those things all at once? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but I think I would like to simplify my life. And I think the whole Facebook idea, you know, I can't be everything to everyone. I just feel like I have to be everywhere when I'm there. And the idea for me behind starting my blog and even this podcast was to help somebody. And so in this whole craziness that was kind of going in my brain, about identity and Facebook and comparing myself and why am I really doing this and what's the point of it all when other people are more successful than I am um I almost gave up yeah I um I actually thought you know I'm just gonna shut the whole thing down or maybe I'll find somebody else to run sober courage or hey maybe I could sell it or something and then the other day I got an email from a mom uh, whose son is coming out of rehab. And uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, he's 25. And she's in Connecticut, and she's looking for some connections for her son to make sober friends. And, um, gosh, I sat on that email for a couple hours. I had no idea how to help this woman at first. I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what young people do. But then I thought, wait, I do know what young people do because of all my connections on Facebook and on Twitter and the blog. And I started Googling things and getting links. And I made a nice little list of like five things that, you know, five places you could try. I gave her, um, you know, I suggested the Sober Grid, Grid app. If you guys haven't tried it yet, it can be downloaded to your phone. It's called Sober Grid. And it uses your location, so if you don't want people to know where you are, don't use the app. But it uses your location to match you, not match you, but uh, show you other people in your location that are also on Sober Grid, meaning they are probably also sober. <laughs> we hope, right? <laughs> so I tried the app. It's actually pretty cool. Um, so I suggested that to her. I also suggested that In The Rooms, and if you guys are not familiar with In The Rooms, that is a Facebook um, site, sort of Facebook for sober people. It has hourly meetings. Um, it's not affiliated with AA, but it has AA, NA, CA, mm, and some other meetings. I think just speaker meetings and stuff like that. It's kind of neat too. Um, I'm on there, I think, as Sober Courage also, or Mag Shores. I'm not sure. I, I haven't been on there for a while, but... You know, this email from the woman. So I send the email to the woman with a couple of these things. And um, I'm actually kind of feeling like, gosh, you know, I hope this helps her a little bit. And she writes me back and she like thanks me profusely. Um, and uh, I always sign my notes, you know, sending hugs because I think hugs are great, right? Hugs, not drugs. But anyway, and she's like, thank you so much for the hugs. And, you know... Such a simple exchange between two people. And I just felt like this is why I'm doing this. It's all worth it just for that one moment where I could connect with another mother. I'm not in her shoes. I might be in her shoes one day. But I can feel and I can tell what kind of pain and struggle she must be going through. And what kind of... Um, 
you know, how much she wants to help her child. Because I go through the same thing, right? I want to help my kids thrive and and do well. And I could just hear through the email uh, how she wanted to help him. And that just changed everything for me again. So, you know, I don't know if my whole Facebook thing and whatever is like, uh, was like some sort of self-pity, pity party or something, but... You know, I think I, I have to, you know, I want to keep, keep in forefront of my cell, my head. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying, but you know, I want to, I want to keep focus on this, why I'm doing this. You know, a lot of the benefits are for me, the fact that I know I help at least one person somewhere out there. And, um, if it's just one person once a month, I mean, I think it's worth it, you know, because there's so many of us out there, so many people struggling. The numbers of opiate epidemic are crazy. I don't know if you guys saw this, uh, statistic, um, that I read the other day, but it was something, don't quote me per, you know, per word, but, um, I think 95 or 96 was when the, uh, the AIDS epidemic was at its top with 46,000 deaths that year. And in 2015, they were saying that there was 47,000 uh, accidental opiate overdoses. So numbers are staggering. And um, whether it's opiate addiction or alcoholism or any of these other things uh that uh, are just out there you know ruining lives um i, I want to be able to help somehow and uh hopefully i'm, I'm, I'm helping somebody or i'm having <laughs> or i'm helping myself i don't know but i think i sometimes forget that one person can help one person can help you know it's like voting right people say well my vote doesn't count but you get that one person and the next one person and the next one person. And then all of a sudden you have a whole bunch of people and it does matter. So you guys out there remember that too, right? You know, when you're in recovery, you might be the only person someone knows that's in recovery. You might be the only, you know, spokesman for AA or rehab or addiction of any sort. And um, I think that's the biggest and greatest part of recovering out loud. I know it's hard. I know it's scary. I know there's still a lot of stigma, but if you look at the whole big picture and how we can all help each other by just being a little more open each day with someone, um, you know, it's amazing. I recently was able to talk to a coworker who confided in me about her husband and it was only, I think she confided in me because she knew that I was in recovery and that was another like, you know, this is why I do this. This is why I want to be open about recovery. So anyway, ah, gosh, I once again almost talked for half hour. So if you have anything that you want to throw at me or ask me, be sure to, you know, check out the blog or email me at sobercourage.com. I'd love to hear from you guys. And also, I'm not sure if I'm doing a podcast next week. We're getting ready to go on vacation, which I'm really, really excited about. And I'll have to report about that because, you know, vacations, they're still a little hard, I have to say. I mean, it's not really hard, not really bad uh, when I see other people drinking on the beach. But, you know, being at the beach just, 
I think the whole atmosphere is like drink, drink, drink. So we actually go to a nice quiet beach. It's called Atlantic Beach, North Carolina. And it's at the southern uh, bottom or southern part past Nags Head. So it's actually pretty secluded and not very touristy. So we really love it because then there isn't a bunch of people running around being drunk. <laughs> Like I used to do when I was drinking. Ocean City, that was my party town. Um, you know, happy hour at 4 p.m. And passed out by 8. And then get up at midnight and go to a club. And um, I remember going to the beach and coming home a week later. Not remembering, but maybe a couple things. And um, I used to call that fun. So now we go to the beach we hang out we relax we swim with the kids we eat a bunch of junk food stuff ourselves with ice cream and um, I love it I love it we love it and I'm so grateful that I can do the beach in recovery so anyway I hope you guys are having a good week and I hope to talk to you guys next week and I